Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow me on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's episode is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net, or become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Now it's time for us to bring you this week's episode of Sam Spade. And this one is from a home recording desk. Now we've heard about these in some radio plots. There were a couple of different detective programs, including Pat Novak for Hire, that involved people going to a record store where you could record your own record in a booth. And uh, there were also some involving home-recorded records. My favorite of these was probably the Nick Carter episode, Records of Death, about a guy finding 10 records that chronicle a murderer, and Nick has to find the murderer and what happened just from what's on the records. If you go on to YouTube and you do a search for home recording disc, you'll get some interesting results. Not many of these survive, so if a record collector finds one, it's a bit of a find. Most of the ones I listen to online were family recordings, kind of like how people would use camcorders back in the 90s. 1980s. Occasionally, you'd find some disc with a song that was recorded off the radio. And someone did note that many of these machines had an option to change your input from microphone to radio. So it was possible to record off the radio, but it's a bit tricky recording a long-form program onto a home recording disc. We'll hear that today. This episode of Sam Spade is missing the opening. It's also missing the closing commercial and final scene with Effie. And in addition to that, there's a 10 second gap while the person doing the recording flipped over the disc as again you had a limited recording space on each side of the disc. But the story is actually complete. Uh, This episode was released prior to the caper with two deathbeds which began the longest streak of available episodes of Sam Spade in the series. So now let's go ahead and we'll bring you today's episode of Sam Spade. The original air date, May 30th, 1948, and the title is The Prisoner of Zenda Caper. Tight enough for me to squeeze in sideways. In the 60-foot-high entrance hall of Zenda, I heard music. It seemed to be seeping down from one of the upper floors. This particular music didn't seem to fit with the suits of armor and heraldic flags that were gathering dust around the joint. I was just going to ask the troll who the jitterbug was when the double doors at the end of the corridor were thrown violently open. Tony, you hear that? How would you? What do you expect? She's got to have everything she wants. Your order. Now, look here, Johnny. I... You... Stop. Well, I guess... Yes, so. 
It's a spade, sir. Oh, yes. Uh, come on in. You might check things upstairs. Yes, sir. I'm Ross McGannon, Mr. Spade. This is my major domo, Mr. Mace. Make him a drink, Johnny. What'll it be, Mr. Spade? Anything at all? There's some gin in the kitchen. That's it. Gin in the kitchen? What the... A 200-room house and you tell me there's gin in the kitchen? You told me to lock up the liquor and put the keys in the safe deposit because you didn't... Never mind. Well, so you're a private detective. I didn't remember sending for you. You didn't. Then who sent for you, Shamus? The letter is signed, Leila McGannon. Leila? Impossible. What does the letter say, Shamus? Uh, that's between my client and me and uh, Mr. Shamus to you. What? Why, you cheap transom people. Major Domo, huh? With 200 rooms, can't you afford better than that, Mr. McGannon? I'll kill you. You, you... shut up. What's the score, Mr. McGannon? I, my wife is not a well woman, Mr. Spade. A doctor has forbidden all visitors. Well, uh, she sent me a retainer, 150 bucks. And $150? I... Well, where did she get? Johnny. Do you hear it? Don't look at me. You say you locked up all the liquor? That's what I said. Very well. You and your boys have been running things in this house. We see the results. Detectives and that, that, that racket. I want all the servants to report to me here immediately. I'm discharging them all. What about our detective friend here? I leave that to you. Deal with that as you see fit. <laughs> That's my pleasure. Shall I kill that music first? Uh, never mind that. I look after my wife, personally. Look, Mr. McGannon, I'm sorry your wife is sick. Anything you may have heard to the contrary, private detectives don't go looking for trouble. All I want to do is return this money to her. So if you just show me the... You! It was a rabbit punch, that first one. Very illegal, very expert. I was on my feet, but I couldn't straighten up. She moved around in front of me and let me have two punishing cuts in the midsection. I doubled up and tried to fall down, but I couldn't. Then I realized it was because two more members of Mr. McGannon's strong-arm squad had grabbed my arms and were hustling me down that long passageway. Then I heard a thunderclap, twice as loud as any I'd ever heard before, and that was all, brother. That was all. Well, what happened in there? Oh, are you hurt, Dad? I'm taking worse, but I've forgotten where. Oh, your head's cut. Yeah. And, and oh, here, let me let me help. Yeah, thanks. Groggy. Golly, what a mess! Did I get any on you? Oh, well, that's my car. You think you can make it? Yeah. Lean on me. Oh, it's all right. I'm I'm wiry. Yeah, that's nice. Well, tell me if you feel like it. Tell you what? Who are you? I'm Gail Borden. I'm a friend of Johnny Mason. Then you're no friend of mine. You really let me have it. Well, I can see that. Oh, please trust me. What did they say? About what? About Leela. What's your interest? She's my ideal. You know about her, don't you? She's an actress, wasn't she? Oh, not just an actress. She was Leila Lorraine. She was a big star. Camille Trilby. All those. Prisoner of Zender. McGannon. He built this castle for her. Just like in the movie of the prisoner's vendor. That what she married him for, a castle? Oh, well, he wasn't the big love of her life. He died. Who was her first husband? Joe Kenyon. You know who he was. Well, the name kind of rings a bell. Musician. Played trombone. Hot? Oh, one of the best, the experts say. Only it's hard to prove. You see, you can't get any of his records. He made hundreds, but something happened to them. Now what? Hello. What do you want, Johnny? I didn't know you had company. Uh, Spade, I'm sorry we had to rough you up. 
We'll oh. talk about that later. What's his angle, Gorgeous? I, I... Look, sweetheart, Johnny here is definitely not your type. What do you want from well, him? I don't want... I, I, don't I know want... what you've been playing me for. You want me to get into that house. Well, you figure on finding out something about Leela that'll be good for a shakedown. Well, let's forget it. As long as you're going to take this charlatan with you instead of me. Well, how do you... You're both I... wasting your time. So far as Joe Kenyon's concerned, even if your hunch is right, he's been dead for 19 years. And New York homicide is busy enough with current stuff. Even so with Leela. <laughs> but now you won't get in to see Leela. Nobody will. Why not? Leela's dead. Oh, I don't believe it. It'll be in the morning papers. For further details, consult your local newspaper. Hey, don't. That won't help any. Come on, I'll drive you home. Oh, Sam, I've come so far. And I've waited so long. I wondered just how far she had come or how far she'd gone. But the grief on her face told me how long she'd waited. It was all her life. I couldn't see her for the kind of woman that put flowers on Rudolph Valentino's grave, but I couldn't quite see her as a blackmailer either. As far as I was concerned, what had or had not happened tonight wouldn't make any sense until I could find out what had happened on another night, 19 years ago. I had an idea that the subtitle on the silent picture might read, Murder. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. important news on good grooming. If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, how does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? The results were amazing. Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. And no wonder. It gives you the advantages that men consider most important. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, relieves annoying dryness, and removes loose dandruff. What's more, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil is the only leading hair tonic that contains soothing lanolin that's like the oil of your skin. So ask for Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, and mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. And now, back to the Prisoner of Zenda Caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. The obituary notices on Leela Lorraine McGannon were just about what you'd expect on a famous actress who retired many years ago to marry a rich and famous man. McGannon was described as a promoter, political leader, and financier. The late Mrs. McGannon was described as one of the great beauties of her generation, as indeed she was. There were pictures of Billy Dove, Mary Philbin, Clara Bow, Marilyn Miller, Jean Eagles, Renee Adderay, Lillian and Dorothy Gish, and the full cast of Scaramouche. Film pioneers who were her contemporaries, friends of lovely Leela Lorraine. But an omission in the otherwise fulsome account was provocative. To me, 
There was no mention of Leela Lorraine's first husband, Joe Kenyon. Pete Daly knows all there is to know about young men with horns, and Pete gave me some information. Joe Kenyon? Ah, flambone man, yeah. <laughs> first time I heard that cat, I was just a little kitten. <laughs> I'd say he had a style something like uh, Miss Mole, only more legit, you know. Ah, too bad he killed himself. I had a couple of his sides, man. Oh, barking dog blues, sweet Lorraine. They were fine, real gone, you know. I kind of hated the plot with those platters, but some hip collector offered me 50 skins apiece for him, so why not? The character named uh, McGannon, you know. I blew 15 bucks in a phone call to New York. That's when you gave me the rundown, Lieutenant, on the Joe Kenyon suicide. He'd uh, taken a long walk on a short pier, cause of death, drowning. But the sap wound on the back of his head was never explained. There was no record of his ever having been married to anybody named Leela Lorraine. But there was a marriage certificate made out to Joseph Kenyon and one Leela Borden. Sam, come in. How old are you? Nineteen. Okay, then I'll come in. Oh, where have you been? Looking for some answers. I should have come here and shaken them out of you. Well, what are you talking about? Why didn't you tell me Leela was your mother? Oh. Well, what difference does it make now? McGannon will get away with it just the way he got away with killing my father. And if he knew why... Why did your mother send for me? I... I don't know. Lie number one. You wrote that letter and signed her name to it. Why? Oh, it's not what you think, Sam. It wasn't blackmail. I wanted to see my mother. After 19 years, you suddenly wanted to see your mother. But I didn't know. I'd always been told my mother was dead. Who told you different? My aunt. She brought me up. And she was sick. Six months ago, they told her that she was dying. So she told me about my mother. What did she say about McGannon? Him. That mod told me how he managed to wipe out nearly every trace of my father, so that it almost seemed he had never existed at all. How mother has been a prisoner in that castle ever since she married him. I wanted to help her. Now she's dead. How did you meet Johnny Mace? Well, he caught me trying to climb over the wall. At first he was very stern, and, and then he started laughing. He, he said I was hung. Smart boy. He thought I had some kind of a blackmail plan, and I let him think so, because he was my only link to the people in that house. But he kept putting me off. Well, that's why I finally sent you that letter. Oh, I guess I must have been crazy. Yeah. Uh, look, Angel, you told me. What's that? Oh, well, Johnny, I don't know. I, I'm just so Oh, now listen, honey, you know I'd do anything in the world for you. You don't really go for that shamus, do you? What? Johnny, I can't hear you. That's Spade. I said you don't really go for that. What? Wait a minute. Wait, I'll fix that racket. Don't go away now. You stay right on the phone there. Don't hang up. Sam, are you still on the wire? Yeah. Can't I please hang up now, Sam? Hold it, sweetheart. But Sam, Shut I... up. It's okay, sweetheart. I've heard all I need to. In fact, a little more than I expected. Zenda Castle was hideous enough in the daytime, but you should have caught it at night. The rain stopped about ten minutes before I clambered down from the bus and slogged up the winding mountain road to the dead end. I took a plant in the traditional shrubbery and waited. It wasn't long, maybe 20 minutes. The station wagon shot up in front of the gate. Somebody got out to open it, and while that was happening, I hitched on and rode the rear bumper in. 
We uh, came to rest in a dungeon-type garage. Oh, boy, another day, another half a dollar. Play any cribbage troll? Uh, uh, no, not tonight. I'm going to pound the fella. Are uh, you locking up? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Hey, how do you like that? Look what that detective done to my knuckles. Uh. <laughs> hey, who's been using this? Huh? Oh, me. I started to have a look, but it was too dusty. How long since they used that? They never did. Uh, what's it for? It was built according to authentic castle specifications. Uh. And it's supposed to be kept locked. Mark it. Uh, where, where, where's that key? Ah, ah, stupid me. It's hanging in the storeroom. Well, stupid you, go get it in the storeroom. I'm going to bed. Lock up tight now. Good night. Good night. Hey, what? Who? Good night, sweet troll. It was real silent picture stuff, all right. There were things like it in The Cat and the Canary, Phantom of the Opera, The Bat. No old-time thriller was complete without a secret passageway. About halfway, I completely lost my sense of direction. All I knew was that I was going up. And it was cold, damp, cobwebby, and creepy. But the last five minutes, I knew I was going in the right direction after all. Three steps from the top, I felt a sudden rush of warm air as a door opened and a slot of light stabbed down at me. A robed figure was framed in the doorway. So, you've come for me at last, eh? Well, I'm ready. Come on in. Come on, I said. Don't keep me waiting. I followed her into a dim cavern of a room. It was all done up in oriental drapes and beaded lampshades. It smelled of incense. She didn't look quite as dead as her obituaries had claimed she was. She looked enough like the beautiful Leela Lorraine of 20 years ago to be her grandmother, but there was no mistaking the grand manner. She flung herself on a couch in a turkey's corner, poured herself a hooker of gin, downed it in one gulp, and took up a feet of Barra pose. Well... What are you waiting for? I don't know. <laughs> I do. You're from the New York Police. You want me to talk about Joe Kenyon? Well, he plays that horn like the end of the world. And that's all. I just happen to have a record here. Sweet Lorraine? I heard it. Oh? I was a beast star. The biggest. Biggest, biggest star. And Joe made that recording. <laughs> you can't see me anymore, but you can still hear him. <laughs> I guess you were, uh, I guess you were pretty much in love with him, weren't you? I hated it. I hated him. He used to come home when, when he felt like it. From some, some weed patch somewhere and he'd... I hated him. Laughing me around. He was like a crazy man. Oh, he, he had green eyes. Mom, buddy, around Jealousy. <laughs> he said, 
He said, Ross McGannon said the baby wasn't. He's going to throw out the window. Yeah, now take it easy. And then Ross sent some men over and they took Joe's body away. I killed him. He killed my baby, so I hit him. He's a wonderful musician. I just happen to have a record here. Were you right? Huh? I was a very big star. Who are you talking to? I was way ahead of you. Rita! Mr. McGannon, I... Please. Uh, no explanation. It's all right. I'll have to get into no. bed. No, 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 sure, no, here, no, come on no, Apology, Mr. McGannon. I think you owe me one, too. But I suppose the beating I took was no more than $150 worth. Oh, things had gotten to such a state by the time you arrived here. We thought this girl was trying to blackmail us, and we... Well, anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, uh, what I don't get. Why did you make things so tough for yourself? Your wife could have told her story to any jury 18 years ago and walked out a free woman. And let the world know the sordid truth about her life with Kenyon? No, I had to do what I did. I had to protect her. Don't you see what she meant? Not only to me, but well, to the whole... Well, that's your business. So you, uh, you told her the baby had died. She wasn't fit to raise a child. She was already on the road to where she is now. It's all right. It's all right, Lisa. It's all right, Lisa. We'll be home soon. No, no, she wasn't fit to raise a child. She was only fit to live in a place like this with someone like me. Die here, too. You wrecked that part of it. Why did you decide to announce her death yesterday? We found out who that girl is. Leela's daughter, little Gail. Gail. Well, what are you going to tell her? Gail? I'll have to think. Gail, poor little baby. She cried. <laughs> she cried. Go to sleep, Leela. No. No, it's all right. I'm wide awake now. I just thought of something, Ross. We should take a smaller house somewhere. And Ross, I think I'd like to do pictures again. Not those doll-faced heroines like Princess Flavia. I've outgrown those. No, I could do characters. Ross, let's read some plays tomorrow. Shall we? McGannon turned slowly around in his chair and looked at it. There was happiness and amazement and disbelief on his gray face. Then he must have detected something about it that I missed. He rushed out of the room. And when he came back, he brought the doctor with him. She lived for about 20 minutes without regaining consciousness. Her death certificate was fairly accurate after all. Heart failure due to alcoholism. It was just dated a day too soon. When I went back and saw Gail that night, my story went something like this. Mother died a natural death. Her imprisonment was in, was voluntary. Her grief over the loss of her husband and her child had made her seek retirement. The years had dealt gently with her, and her great beauty had only become more delicate and fragile as she neared the end. Period and a report. Well, Effie, no questions? No, Sam, no questions. And I'd like to say that I think you're the nicest, most wonderful, 
Most of the time, person. But... Now, don't spoil it, sweetheart. Not just yet. All right, Sam, I'll type this up. Don't let me forget now. Don't let you forget what? I can't tell you without telling you. Oh, of course. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. Well, this represents a solid, dramatic episode. It's a case where both Sam and probably most listeners arrived at the wrong judgment. And we got to see that sort of compassionate side of Spade, which Duff did a great job portraying in a really understated way. I definitely miss the opening and concluding remarks between Sam and Effie. Martin Graham's notes in his book, The Radio Adventures of Sam Spade, that the close was actually interesting because, according to the script, Sam tells Effie goodnight, sweetheart, before she can say goodnight, Sam. So she says goodnight, Sam, after that, and then Duff repeats goodnight, sweetheart, and says, don't forget, I always have the last line. Now, most listeners would think this was a blooper. However, that was actually in the script. It was written in a way to make it seem like there was a blooper, like Duff had made a mistake. Pre-planning a blooper is kind of an odd move. Graham suggested it was to keep the closing fresh, and I can't think of any better explanation for messing with the audience's mind like that. What I would like to know is if Tuttle and Duff actually made a real blooper when they got to the recording by doing it the correct way. At any rate, we're unlikely to ever know. Still, I'm grateful for the recording we have. I also have to say that whoever recorded this chose a perfect time for the record flip as that time when she was on the phone... Uh, that 10 seconds, we didn't have to guess what happened. While not the ideal way for these programs to be preserved, given that there are nearly 200 episodes of this iconic series missing, I'd gladly welcome any other recordings like this. If only more people had gone to this trouble, but I do think that recording this much radio was not what these expensive home recording machines were built for. And that does conclude our listen through the adventures of Sam Spade. However, we do have one more Maltese Falcon adaptation coming up next week. And so we'll bring you that before we get into the adventures of the Falcon. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Robert. Robert's been one of our Patreon supporters since March of 2019, currently supporting the podcast at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Robert. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. If you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, mark the notification bell, and leave a comment. All those great things that help the channel to grow. We'll be back next Monday with an adaptation of the Maltese Falcon. But join us back here tomorrow for the start of another Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial where... Johnny Dollar. Pat McCracken, Universal Adjustment Bureau. Oh, hi, Pat. This is my third call. Where have you been? Out buying some tackle. Want to go fishing? Fishing? Yeah, I'm heading down to New York State. Esopus River, maybe the beaver kill. Try to snag myself some nice trout. And, Patsy, my fishing is one thing you aren't going to interfere with. Wouldn't think of it. 
Why don't you try Lake Mojave? Huh? Where's that? Along the Colorado River, out between Nevada and Arizona. What? Sure, be the guest of greater Southwest insurance and liability. What are you talking about? I don't know how you'd value those Asafas River trout, but there's a fish out there that may be worth three million bucks. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.